0: Well, we don't have children's church today. It is the first Sunday of the month and so we will be partaking in communion later on. We like to have the kids in service with us to either uh, join with us in communion if they've received Jesus as their savior or hopefully to witness this and maybe ask some good questions about what it means. So, uh, kids, you are, you are sticking around today. So I actually want to start with a question for the kids, alright? So you gotta, you gotta tune in and listen up. How many of you, kids with a show of hand? how many of you have like a basement that you can play in? Do you have a basement you play in? Yeah, is it, a, is it like a finished basement, like with carpet and drywall and stuff, or is it like just concrete walls, half and half? What's yours? Okay, so maybe partly finished? Yeah, okay. Anybody just got big concrete open spaces? Couple, yeah, I see some heads nodding. That's what my basement was like growing up. And we would go down there and you know throw balls and have fun. I had a remote control car that I raced. And I, I would build a ramp for it up and, and over the wall. So it would drive up the wall and come back down. And I would do that over and over again. Years later, I found out that was so loud in the rest of the house. I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't really care, but I just found out about it. But uh, kids, have you ever seen a house being built? Have you ever seen, like, it's just a, a, maybe a grass area, and then, and then they clear it, and it's dirt, and what's the first thing they do when they come in to build a house? Kids, anybody? See, hand over here. What is it, Joe? Pizza. They eat pizza. <laughs> I am, I'm joining your construction company. This is good. You have your priorities in the right place. Okay, maybe after they eat a couple pizzas, uh, what's, what's the first thing they do to start building the house? Like, they dig a big um, hole for the base. They dig a big hole for the base, absolutely. That is one of the, I mean, there's a lot of stuff you don't see, legal stuff. But yes, they come in and they dig a big hole for the base, the, uh, the base of the house. And then what's the first thing they put in that base? The first thing they actually build. Wood. Okay, so they start putting some wood in. <laughs> they come in and they put these these big chunky concrete walls in, right? Have you seen that? I, I'll tell you a story. This is kind of embarrassing. My my, I lived in a uh, a neighborhood, a subdivision, growing up, and they were always building new houses around us. It was just we were kind of in the growth area of the subdivision. And uh, my, my friends and I loved playing in the build sites. Don't do that, kids. Don't. I think now they've gotten smart and they put fences around it. That might have been our fault. But um, we, we like going in there and playing. And, and so there was one house and they had built the foundations. And I was at my friend's birthday party and it was right next door. And we went in and we had a, a dirt ball fight. <laughs> so we, we were running around these foundations throwing dirt balls at each other. And the interior of well all of the foundation just got covered in mud. And the next day, somebody came to his house and knocked on the door and and we got called in and we had to clean it all up. And that was our fault and we shouldn't have done that. But I just, I never thought about it. Like, it's a construction site. Who cares if it's dirty? But those become the wall of the basement. But kids, imagine playing in your basement and you see that concrete wall or, or even the finished wall and all of a sudden there's a big crack. And you think, huh, that's odd. Now, if you have a concrete basement like I did, it, it's not unusual to see some cracks in it. It's, Usually not that big a deal, but imagine a couple of days later you're you're down there again and you're playing and that crack, that crack is bigger. Then a couple of days later you look and there's dirt falling through the crack and like a little bit of water trickling down. And then the next day you come back and there's like chunks of concrete falling off and dirt just pouring in and water pouring in. What, what would you do? Hopefully you would go find your mom and dad and go like, um something's up here. There's a problem with the foundation. See, the foundation is holding up the whole house. And if you have a problem with your foundation, you are very quickly going to have a serious problem with your house. We went back at one point to visit the elementary school I went to in kindergarten and first grade. And uh, it wasn't there anymore because it had sunk. The, it was in Pennsylvania, and I guess there was a mine, and it just... It cracked completely out underneath it and fell through. Fortunately, not while I was there. So today we're looking at this idea of cracking foundations. A time in the history of Israel when they had these firm foundations, but these cracks were beginning to develop and things were beginning to fall apart. And I think... We need to look and take some of these lessons from it and apply it to our own lives because it's very easy for us to have cracks in our foundation, foundation of our faith and our relationship with Christ and in our life. And and we might just ignore them or just kind of put a little plaster over it and cover it up, little caulk, it'll fix anything, some duct tape. But sometimes these are signs of a very serious problem. And so the time in in history in the Old Testament that we're talking about today is the period of the kings, or also the divided kingdom time in the Old Testament, the period of 1st and 2nd Kings and 1st and 2nd Chronicles. If you're just joining us today, this focal point series is going through all of Scripture. We're walking from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, we're going to get to the birth of Jesus Christ on Christmas morning. So that worked out well. And uh, But we're still in the Old Testament and we've got a lot of history to cover today. And the first thing we need to understand, if we're going to understand the cracks in their foundation, we need to understand what their foundation was to begin with. What was the firm foundation of God's people in the Old Testament? And there are several important Old Testament covenants that we need to look at. A covenant is a promise. You know, somebody says, hey, I promise, I promise you'll get dessert. I promise if you're good, we'll go home and do something fun. And sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. But when God makes a promise, he is staking his character on it. And there are several times in the Old Testament that he made a promise to his people. And we've been looking at some of those, but I want to refresh our memory a little bit. The first one is God's covenant to Abraham. There was no Israel. There were no Israelite people. There were no Jewish people until God reached out to this man, Abraham, and starts a relationship with him. And we see this in Genesis chapter 12. In verses 2 and 3, it's the first part of this covenant. He says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is the beginning of of God's covenant through Abraham, often called the Abrahamic covenant. My kids ask, like, why do they put the ick on the end of it? I don't know. It sounds smart and it's probably Latin or something. The Abrahamic covenant, God's covenant through Abraham to his people. And God promises Abraham that he will bless Abraham. And yes that means like he'll grow his family will grow his nation will grow his property will grow but the foundational part of the blessing to Abraham is that God would be with him that was the most important part of the blessing Abraham would be blessed because of his relationship with God He also promises to bless Abraham by making him into a great nation which means he was going to have children. Those kids would have kids and they would have kids and they would develop into this huge nation. And we looked at the fact that this was a hard promise because Abraham didn't have kids and couldn't have kids at that time. He and his wife were both quite old and miraculously, God gives them a son. If we fast forward to Genesis chapter 15, we also have this second part of the blessing to Abraham. Genesis fifteen eighteen says, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said to your descendants, I give this land from the Wadi or the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. And so he defines this land mass that we now know as the nation of Israel. So this blessing, he's going to bless Abraham and be with him. He's going to give him a nation. He's going to give him a land, a, a place to be. He also says in this blessing to Abraham through you, Abraham, I will bless all the people In the whole world. That's a big promise from God to Abraham. And it is this promise to Abraham that is the beginning of the Israelites. This is the beginning of the Jewish nation. This is like their birthday. God's promise to them. They are who they are throughout the Old Testament because God made them a promise. Now, if we fast forward a long time and we come to King David, we talked about him a couple weeks ago, and we have another covenant that God makes to King David. If the first one was called the Abrahamic covenant, what do you think this one's often called? The Davidic covenant. Yep, sounds smart. If you want to sound cool and smart, use the ick. There you go. God makes this promise to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16. It says, Your house, He's talking to David. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Now understand in the context of the kingdom exactly what this promise is saying. God is telling David that one of David's descendants, one of his offspring, will always forever rule on the throne of Israel. As long as there is a king in Israel, that king will be a descendant, an offspring of David, This is a huge blessing to a king. We don't really think this way today, but this idea that your dynasty, your family line, your ruling family will go on and on forever. And to have that pro- uh, promised by God is such a powerful promise. These two covenants form the foundation of who the Israelites are. They are who they are because of these promises to God. They were unconditional promises. They depended on God and God's ability to fulfill his own promises, which in case you're wondering, he's really good at fulfilling his promises. He always fulfills his promises. And so they were who they were because of these promises and they were to trust in this as they lived in their relationship with God. Now, there was another covenant. There's several covenants in the Old Testament. But the other one I want to talk, today, uh, talk about today is the Mosaic Covenant, which is God's covenant through Moses. There you go. Uh, and this one was different. We, You know it as the Old Testament law, Ten Commandments. God comes to the Israelite people and he says, Okay, I have committed myself to you. You're going to be my people. Later on, he's going to give the covenant with David. I've committed to give you a king. Those depend on God. But the Old Testament law is God saying, Now this is how this relationship's gonna work. I will protect you and watch over you individually or you as, as a, a generation of people if you trust me and obey me. He's the big covenants say that God will never let go of his people. But then there's the individual conditional covenant through Moses that God lays out what that relationship is going to look like. And it required that they needed to live in trusting obedience with God. So we have this nation, Israel created by God based on the foundation of God's unchangeable promises. That's what the old Testament is all about. God's relationship with these people, the Israelites and how that relationship was working, how they were faithful, how they weren't so faithful. And we learn a lot about our relationship with God today. Now, At this point, I need to hit the pause button and make a very important side application. These covenants to the Israelites, God's blessings to the Israelites that they are his people, God's blessing about if they are faithful to him, then he will bless them as a nation. These do not apply to the United States of America. God has never made those covenants, those promises, to the modern country of the United States of America. I love this country. I hope you love this country. I want this country to act in Christian ways. But too often as Christians, we rip things out of the Old Testament and apply it to us today. God never promised that the United States of America would go on forever and ever, whether we are faithful or not. He's never promised that. If you want to look at how God will deal with the United States of America, look at how he dealt with the other nations in the Old Testament. And there are times that they acted in faithfulness and God worked through them and blessed them and used them. There are other times that they didn't act in faithfulness and God punished them and sometimes dissolved them as a nation. I think as modern-day Christians, we need to be under no illusion that the United States of America will go on forever and ever. It probably will not. But God and his people will go on forever and ever. And Jesus Christ is reigning forever and ever. So love your country, but have your ultimate dedication be to your Savior and your King, Jesus Christ. All right, I'll get off my soapbox there. But it's an important application as we look at these promises. But imagine living in Israel with these incredible promises. What a firm foundation that would be in your day-to-day life to know that God has called you, He has blessed you, He is protecting you, He is living among you. But you know the people in the Old Testament, they're a lot like you and me. They struggled, they faltered, they failed at times, they struggled in their faith, and at times some cracks began to appear in their foundations. So we need to look at this time of the divided kingdom. When these signs of deeper issues really begin to be evident in the life of the Israelites. We need to talk about a lot of history today. And and I know, know, at least if you're like me, when we start going into biblical history and dates and names, your your eyes just kind of glaze over and it's like too much information and you just tune out. So let me help you. I want you to understand that these are people like you living in this history. It's not so much about the dates and the times. It's about the experiences of the everyday people going through these times. And they're struggling through it. They're looking out for their families. And they're realizing that they're at risk during this time. Their safety is being threatened. Their economy is falling apart. Their political leaders are a mess. And I know, I know there are times, leave it up to you whether we're in one of those times now, but there are times we see that in our world. But this is God's people with a covenant promise, and yet they're looking around and going, everything is a mess. And it was much worse than anything we can possibly experience right now today. Because any day, people could have come in, raided their land, destroyed their homes, carried off their families. This became a common occurrence. It was a time of great fear and great loss and a whole lot of cracks in their foundations. So let's understand what's going on here in the history. We're looking at the time of first and Second kings and first and Second Chronicles, those four books. Which were originally two books. First and second Kings was initially one, it was too long to fit on one scroll, so they split it up. But First and Second Kings covers history, and then Chronicles goes back and covers it again. Two different people recording the same history from slightly different perspectives. But we actually have to go back into first and second Samuel. Remember weeks ago we talked about King Saul and King David? King Saul's the first king, and and he was a very fearful king. He he was kind of looking out for himself and not trusting in the Lord. And then God makes David king, and he's a good king. Not a perfect person, but he's trusting in the Lord. And so the history that we pick up is right after David dies. In fact, it's right in the last days of his life. And he knows he's passing away, and his son Solomon is proclaimed to be king over all of Israel. And this is where things begin to take a turn. Right away, one of Solomon's brothers, a guy by the name of Adonijah, he gets a whole bunch of people together to declare that he's king. He gets sort of this coalition, this mob mentality, this group together to declare him king. And maybe if he gets enough people on his side, he can overthrow anybody else. And so you see already there's internal strife among God's people. Eventually, it's sorted out and David, or rather Solomon is anointed as king and recognized by all. Solomon builds the temple, the dwelling place of God in 1 Kings 8 and 9. I mean, everything's looking great. And then 930 BC, 930 years before Christ comes, Solomon passes away. And his son takes over, Rehoboam. And at that time, a bunch of the tribes of Israel, 10 of them out of the 12, decide they want nothing to do with David's family anymore. And they split off and appoint their own king. And Israel, God's covenant people that God is dwelling among, living in this relationship with him, split. And the time of the kings is so confusing because we have two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And the northern tribes follow this man Jeroboam, and the southern tribes stick with Solomon's son Rehoboam. And First and Second Kings, 1 and Second Chronicles, if you've ever read through them, they're so confusing because it's like a ping pong ball. Have you ever watched a ping pong match where it's just bouncing back and forth and bounce back and forth? It's like this king in Israel did this and then he died and then this king in Judah did this and then he died and then this king. And it's so confusing. The names are similar. But the reason it's confusing is that you're bouncing back and forth between these two kingdoms, and they're trying to follow the order of these kings. This guy dies after a year or two, and then this guy down here. It's very, very confusing. And as confusing as it was to read, I'm sure it was even more confusing to live in. And to think, again, that God's chosen people had divided themselves and often were at war with each other. Briefly, the history of the northern kingdom. Right away, they had a problem. See, the the temple was in the south. That's where they had to go to worship God. The northern king realized this was going to be a problem. If his people kept leaving his kingdom to go worship God, he was going to lose some control. And so he did a very politically savvy thing. He set up an idol in the north of his kingdom and the south of his kingdom, a golden calf in both places. And he commanded his people to worship them. That way, they never had to leave his kingdom. Politically savvy, religiously awful. It devastated their relationship with God by causing them to worship other things. And the history of the northern kingdom are a whole bunch of really bad, wicked, awful kings that led their people astray over over and over again. A good example of this is the man named Ahab and his wife his wife, whose name is synonymous with a bad, horrible woman, Jezebel. That's where the, the, the background in this use of the name Jezebel comes from is because of Ahab's wife in Scripture. 1 Kings verse 1630 says this, Ahab, son of Omri did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. How'd you like that on your tombstone? And, and understand, like, this is not a long line of great people. This was a line of horrible people, and then Ahab comes along, and God pronounces a judgment. He was the worst of those that came before him. Jezebel was not an Israelite. She was not a follower, worshiper, truster in God. She she worshipped all sorts of other gods and goddesses and led Ahab astray, and he was more than willing to follow and lead his people astray as well. His wife Jezebel starts a crusade to kill the prophets, the spokespersons of God, and goes after them and hunts them down and puts them to death. This leads to a confrontation that's very famous between Elijah and Ahab. You might know the story of Mount Carmel, and Elijah sets up an offering there, and fire comes down from heaven and consumes it, and God justifies and proves that that Elijah is his prophet. Another story that's very telling in the life of Ahab is that one day he's looking out and he sees a, uh, a vineyard that he wants and it belongs to his neighbor. And he goes to his wife and he's just like, I'm miserable. I want this vineyard, but I can't have it. And she's like, What do you mean? You're the king. Kill him. Take his vineyard. And that's exactly what he does. He was a horrible, horrible man. 1 Kings 21 25 says, There was never anyone like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel, his wife. So when we're talking about this king and this time of the king and these evil people, remember, these aren't just names on a page. They're not just dates. They're not just eras of history. People lived under this guy's leadership. They had to deal with their culture and and their ideas and their politics changing constantly constantly. And many of them were led astray just like their king. So many of the other kings in the northern kingdom were bad, really bad, some even just as bad. And the truth is, the southern kingdoms weren't much better. And let me give you a little tip if you're reading these periods of the kings. The northern kingdom is often called Israel, and the southern kingdom is often called Judah, and together they are the divided nation of Israel. It's very confusing. I admit it. Sometimes the northern kingdom is referred to by its uh, capital, which was Samaria. So you'll read the king of Samaria, and you're like, wait a minute, where'd this guy come from? It's the king of the north. Sometimes the king of the south is referred to as Jerusalem. That was their capital. So it's very confusing, but just keep in mind that it's this divided kingdom and these, these different kings in these two kingdoms. The southern kingdom wasn't much better. Some of the kings follow God. Sometimes there's a revival and then their son would come along and rain after them and everything would fall apart. And it went on over and over again. I don't want to give you too many details and, and just cause you to fall asleep. For some of you, it's too late, but that's all right. I should be one of those preachers that pounds on the pulpit every once in a while. It's not to make a point. It's to wake people up. But I'll just say this. The chaos of the northern kingdom goes on for 200 years. We're a young country. We've only been around about 200 years. So this time in history in the Old Testament, it's it's like the time of, of the length of our country. But for 200 years, think of all the generations since America was founded. All the generations... I mean, you you have history. You have family members. You th- man, that's a long history. I remember studying the American Revolution. It's like, man, that's ancient history. 200 years is a lot of history. Now, it's a blip in, in the scope of all of history, but that's a lot of people. It's a lot of mothers and fathers and kids struggling, hurting, trying to be faithful at times, some not caring. It's a lot of chaos going on and on. And on for 200 years. And then the northern kingdom gets conquered by the nation of Assyria. And the people are ripped out of their homes, those that weren't killed in the battle. And they're taken off into exile. About 115 years later, the southern kingdom is conquered by Babylon. And they too are taken into exile. And there should be a question ringing in your mind right now when I say that. What happened to God's promises? God promised to bless them and to be with them. And we're going to look at that more next week when we look at the exile and how God remained faithful to them. But for this week, we need to understand why this happened. What was the root cause of the cracks in their foundation? And the root cause is arguably the single greatest sin in the Old Testament, which is idolatry. And I know at this point, is another one of those points, some of you just tuned out. Oh, idolatry, that's such an old-fashioned thing. We don't do that anymore. I mean, making statues and bowing down and worshiping them, that's so last century, last millennial. We don't do that. Praise God, we don't have that problem. We absolutely have that problem. Idolatry is not about a statue. It's not. The statue was just one form of it. Idolatry starts by forgetting. It starts by forgetting who God is and the kind of relationship we have with Him and what God has done for us. It starts with forgetting over and over in Scripture. People are commanded, remember, remember, recite these things with your kids. Write them on your walls. Put them in your house. Do not forget what the Lord has done for you. And over and over, right when they're falling into sin, we are told they forgot. They did not remember. They lost track of what God had done for them. We think often of idolatry as this very purposeful, well, I'm rejecting God and I'm putting up this idol and I'm going to worship it. And then we all go, well, praise God, I've never done that. But how often do we forget? How often do we not put effort into remembering? Because that's what it means to remember. It's not just hoping it sticks in your mind. It's making sure it does. It's writing down the the note, the sticky note, and putting it on your wall. It's putting the string on your finger. It's putting something in your phone. It's intentionally saying, I know I am prone to forget, and I'm going to work hard at remembering. How do we do that in our relationship with God? To put things into our daily life to remember what God has done for us. Because their forgetting led to idolatry. Biblical idolatry is worshiping anything, anything. Other than God. It doesn't have to be a statue. It doesn't even have to be a world religion. Or or some pagan idea. Worshipping, trusting in something other than God. Thinking that thing will save you. Is idolatry. It's taking our eyes off of God. And putting it on something else. It's also giving credit to something other than God. For good things in our life saying, look at how good I am, look at how much I've worked and how hard I've worked and how great I've made my life. Isn't that great? That's idolatry. Because you are who you are because of God's work in your life and God's blessing in your life. Our country, if there is anything good, is because God is at work. And so rather than talking about how great all these things were, we need to recognize God's hand at work. Giving credit to ourselves, to our politics, our economy, our own successes or the successes of the world around us can be idolatry. So we need to be careful. Ultimately, the root cause of their cracking foundations was that the people of God who had the promises of God and a history of God's work among them forgot their God. And then they tried to fill that hole with anything and everything And this led to the chaos of the time of the kings. You know, we love to blame our culture. As Christians, we we love to look at our culture and say, man, it'd be so much easier to be a Christian and be obedient to God. if, If the culture was better, if the world would change, if the politics would change, if the economy would change. Looking at the time of the kings... It was not the nations around the people of God that were to blame for the problems in Israel. It was the Israelites. Our solution that we see in the Old Testament, the great example there is that the heart or the root of our problems is not the world around us. It is God's people who become like the world around them. Christians, we've got to quit always pointing fingers at the world. We've got to take a hard look through the lens of Scripture at our own hearts. It's got to start here. Idolatry is still very much an issue today, even among Christians. As we search out our own happiness at the expense of truth, as we seek out anything in this world and we leave God behind, as our churches become mere civic organizations and just friendship gatherings and the gospel gets lost lost, and the word of God fails to be preached, we have forgotten all too often. You know, I love the Thanksgiving Eve service and I'm always sad to miss it. Because one of the things that's so powerful at the Thanksgiving Eve service is people that give testimonies of what the Lord has done and is doing in their lives. And that's a powerful way to remember. Remember what the Lord has done. I've called this sermon series Focal point. Because I want to look at all these big pictures in history or or rather in the Old Testament and in the New Testament when we get there. And how all of these things point us forward to Jesus or back to Jesus depending on which side of the cross we're looking at. And the time of the Kings really shows us what happens when the people of God lose sight. When we allow our, our gaze to slip from the truth of who God is and what he's done. And the cracks in the foundation formed and grew as God's people worshipped anything other than God. In a few weeks, we're going to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Jesus was descended from two very particularly important people. And Matthew traces his lineage. And one of the people he traces him through is King David. Because Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise to David that someone from David's lineage would always be on the throne of Israel. And whether there is an earthly Israel or not throughout history, Jesus is always on the throne. He is the fulfillment of that promise. The other person that Jesus is descended from is Abraham. Because God promised Abraham that through Abraham's offspring, he was going to bless the entire earth. And folks, you guys are the entire earth. We're all a part of it today. And we are so blessed because God sent his son to die on the cross to save us from our sins. The promise to Abraham and the promise to David looked forward to Jesus Christ. God's people were to hold on to those promises and trust him but so often cracks appeared in their foundation and they ended up going into exile over it. We need to learn today that we need to follow Jesus. We need to trust Him and not some change in human government, human economy, or human structures. The root cause points us to the root solution, which is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The solution is for us to be changed from the inside out. And that's why in a couple of weeks, we're going to celebrate Christmas. That's why God's son had to come. That's why in a couple of moments, we're going to partake of communion together to declare as we consume this, this cup and this bread that we are trusting in Jesus Christ as our savior. It is a battle against idolatry to remember. And so I pray and I ask you, are you remembering Are you reciting what God has done in your life? Are you listening to what God has done in the lives of people around you? And more than anything else, remind yourself what God has done for you through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we think about this confusing time in Old Testament history, there's so many great stories that come out of it. So much important information. We've barely scratched the surface But I pray that we would understand the big picture of this time. That human chaos so often comes from humans forgetting who you are and walking away from our relationship with you. And Father, I pray that you would forgive us as your people for so often pointing our fingers at the world around us and neglecting the issues within us. And I pray that we would be people that intentionally, specifically, and with great effort, remember who you are and what you've done. And God, that's why we gather here. It's why we sit and open your word. It's, it's why we preach and teach these things and talk about them. It's why we are who we are, because you have sent your son, Jesus Christ, to save us. So help us to remember. Help our foundations to be strong. Help us to be aware of any cracks that are developing and to get to them and redirect our lives back to you before they are able to take root. Because you are God and we are not. And we are saved by you and we will trust you and follow you. So we pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.